Hello, all you hardheads. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, episode number 42, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. A bit of a weird show today. This show has had parts pre-recorded over the past couple of days. I haven't had time to record a full show. Normally, I do everything in one sitting, but today's show is going to be segmented with pieces and segments from the past two days or so you probably won't recognize this over the audio or at least i hope that you won't be able to recognize it obviously everything on youtube is going to appear as normal but the show was segmented i was busy the past couple of days and i hope that is acceptable but i'm super excited today with the show that we do have it's going to be continuing some nfl draft talk that we had left over from the saturday slash sunday show so I'm really hoping that you guys are going to enjoy it. And well, let's just, you know, get right into it. Uh, I wanted to start off the show today kind of clarifying my comments and my take that I made a couple days ago with the Bengals uh, drafting Jamar Chase being a mistake video. I wanted to kind of clarify my comments and reset the ground that I'm standing on. And I want to point some things out here and, and make some statements. I'm not going to walk back on anything that I said. I'm not going to change my opinion. I'm fully willing to die on this hill. And I'm always prepared to be wrong. I'm not afraid to be wrong. And that's one thing that I do want to get across. I'm never going to be one of those guys on the internet, one of those ESPN analysts, Fox analysts, or any content creator or media personality. I am never going to be one to just kind of flip-flop on my opinion like that. Because I can't stand it when I see it. Somebody has an opinion and they feel strongly about it, then they get backlash or they see that the alternate is actually true and then they just change their opinion on the fly and, you know, pretend that they're right all the time. Nobody is right all the time. If, if somebody was right all the time, then there would be no need for debate. We would just listen to that one person's opinion and accept it as truth. So, you know, opinion and debate and being wrong, I actually consider to be a good thing. I'm not afraid to be wrong. Obviously, I'll try to be right more than I'm wrong, but I'm not afraid to be wrong and if I do end up being wrong about this then so be it or if I you know a couple months from now see that hey the Bengals are actually doing fine without Panay Sewell I'll say hey look I was wrong and I'll change my opinion and I'll explain why I'm changing my opinion that's the way I've always thought it should be done and that's the way that I will do it opinions are like assholes you know you hear that saying all the time opinions are like assholes everybody has one and not everybody's asshole is as clean as the next person's so you know, I wanted to make that clear, even though I'm not changing my opinion, I'm not afraid to be wrong. And it seems like Bengals fans are, you know, pretty divided on this issue, not only, you know, with my like-dislike, you know, ratio, but in the comments as well. It feels like Bengals fans are pretty divided on this issue. And I do want to clarify and change something about the way I presented that video. If there's one thing that I could take back about how I presented that video is I kind of presented it like the pick was doomsday for the Cincinnati Bengals and that it was the worst pick that they could have possibly made and that everything is going to hell in a handbasket. It's not. Jamar Chase has the potential to be an all-time great wide receiver and he's a fantastic prospect and a fantastic player. They absolutely could have done so much worse in their draft selection. I just don't think it was the right draft selection in this particular situation. I think they should have taken the left the left tackle out of Oregon, Panay Sewell, for the sake of Joe Burrow. Now, I also do want to point out that 
I don't have biases. I'm unbiased for the most part. I don't root for teams. I've been, you know, working in sports media and sports journalism for close to five years now. I don't have biases. I don't root for teams, but I do root for players. And I do root for Joe Burrow because I love the story that he represents. I love what he was able to do at LSU. And it really stunk to see him get hurt playing in Cincinnati last year. He was having a fantastic season before he got hurt. And it really sucks to see. So the idea of Joe Burrow coming back which is already going to be extremely difficult. You know, players come back from an ACL and MCL tear, and, you know, it's it's hard to be the same player. So the idea of Joe Burrow potentially getting hurt again due to lack of pass protection, and granted, you know, the Bengals did address it. They drafted Jackson Carmen in the second round. Riley Reef is on a one-year contract. They have some offensive line pieces there. But on the horrible, horrible chance that, you know, Joe Burrow gets hurt again and it's serious again, not only is your quarterback, your developing starting rookie quarterback, not only is he being hurt more than he's being on the field, that also means he's not developing. And it doesn't matter how good Joe Burrow is. If he's off the field and not developing, that's not advancing your football team forward. It's stifling the potential that the Cincinnati Bengals have. Which is why I'm so concerned and why I would have drafted Panay Sewell. Because the reality is, Bengals fans, and I'm sorry to say this, if Joe Burrow gets hurt again, and it's serious like it was last time, last time there is a very good chance that you could be in the same position that you were three years from now, a couple of years ago. Meaning that you could be looking for another quarterback again. And all this progress and all that the, the good you know acquisitions that the Bengals have had, the good draft that they had, it could be for nothing if you're going to be looking for another starting quarterback in the next two years because Joe Burrow keeps getting hurt. And I don't want that to be Joe Burrow's legacy. I know you for Cincinnati Bengals fans don't want that to be his legacy. So it's more in the context of for the safety and sake of Joe Burrow that I really, really dislike the selection of Jamar Chase. It's not because Jamar Chase is a bad prospect. He has the potential to be a Hall of Famer, an all-time great wide receiver, and Cincinnati absolutely needed a deep threat. This just was not the time to get the deep threat. I would have preferred a deep threat in the later rounds and you get a Hall of Fame, potential Hall of Famer at left tackle to really make sure that Joe Burrow, which... Let's be honest, the future and, you know, the playoffs and whatever have you, the future of the Cincinnati Bengals rests on Joe Burrow's shoulders. If that guy keeps getting hurt, it doesn't matter how much potential the team has. It doesn't matter how many good drafts or good free agent acquisitions the team has. If your quarterback keeps getting hurt and your quarterback that looks like he's going to be really, really good keeps getting hurt, you're just going to be back in the same position a couple years later looking for a quarterback because quarterback is the most important position on the football field. And I don't want that for Joe Burrow. And I'm sure you as Cincinnati Bengals fans wouldn't want that either because this is the best that the Bengals are, have been looking in a long while you know so that's kind of what I wanted to clarify really quickly I'm not you know changing my opinion I'm not walking back on anything I'm prepared to die on the hill that I think Panesua would have been a better draft selection I just want to clarify that I was not I made it look too much like a doomsday scenario when it's really not that bad and I'm not afraid to be wrong out this in fact I hope that I'm I am wrong about this. I hope that, you know, Joe Burrow doesn't need the extra protection and him and Chase have a great season for the sake of football because it's exciting to watch. You know, I hope that I'm wrong in this case. You know, I don't I don't mind being wrong. I hope I'm right. Obviously, I try to be right more than I'm wrong. But again, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one and people are going to disagree. And that's just kind of the way it is, especially in sports when people are so passionate, you know, so 
I, I, I wanted to clarify that. I hope that smoothed things over a little bit. If you still disagree with me about the selection, that's fine. Again, I'm not afraid to be wrong. I'm not afraid to have people disagree with me. It happens. If, if somebody was right all the time, then there would be no need for debate. And obviously, debate is fun. Talking about sports is fun. Arguing with people about sports is fun. You know, that, that, that intense kind of competition. You know, teams. You know, it's fun. Sports is fun. You know. So I wanted to clear that up uh, to start off the show today. So now we can move on into the show and talk about some other stuff. And one of those things that I did want to talk about was Justin Fields. I wanted to talk about Justin Fields on Saturday when we had our draft special recap show, but I decided to not because I felt like I needed more time in deciding how I felt about the Chicago Bears taking Justin Fields at number 11 overall. And obviously Justin Fields being the quarterback out of Ohio State University, and he has been for the longest time considered to be the number two prospect right behind Trevor Lawrence. And for one reason or another, for reasons that I'm not quite sure or don't understand his draft stock plummeted. Well, plummeted might be a little bit of an extreme. It definitely depreciated during the course of the offseason, and I wasn't necessarily sure why. So he fell out of what at one point seemed like a sure number two draft selection to being drafted 11th overall by the Chicago Bears. Chicago hopefully for them, has their franchise quarterback, and Justin Fields has a home in Chicago. And again, I wasn't necessarily sure how I felt about this pick at first. I think my initial reaction was, oh, I kind of feel bad for Justin Fields. He has that immediate pressure on his shoulders to be successful in Chicago right away with Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy's jobs essentially on the line. And I wouldn't necessarily say that he has the hardest situation going into this next season out of all the rookie quarterbacks that got drafted. I think Trevor Lawrence has work to do. I think Zach Wilson will have work to do with the Jets. Of course, the Jets organizationally have a lot to prove in terms of being able to get over the hump and out of the rut that they've been in for multiple, multiple decades now. So I wouldn't necessarily say that Justin Fields has the hardest position out of all the rookie quarterbacks, but I wouldn't also consider Chicago necessarily a good landing spot for Justin Fields in a city and a team in which quarterbacks have recently, and pretty much as long as the Bears have been a team, quarterbacks have gone there to quote-unquote die. So it's it's a very mixed-feeling reaction for me when I first you know, saw that the Chicago Bears traded up. They traded uh, four picks away to the New York Giants, which we already talked about, Dave Gettleman, and how I felt like the Giants had a great draft. They traded away four picks to New York to be able to trade up and get Justin Fields. And after, you know, thinking about it for a couple of days, I really kept struggling with the question. I kept asking the question as, <laughs> I don't know if you can see it, but there's a lot of natural light coming through my room now, so I apologize if the, uh, the lighting gets out of sorts during the course of the segment. But... I I was asking myself, as on cue, right, Um, I kept asking myself, can Justin Fields really be the franchise quarterback in Chicago? And obviously, it's a little bit of a silly question at this point, because there's always a chance, right? I mean, even on a completely sunny day here in Florida, there is always a, a chance of rain. That's just the life we live. Ask any Floridian, there's always a chance of rain. And similarly, there's always a chance that the guy that you draft to be your franchise quarterback actually works out. And, you know, I've kind of, you know, taken some time to lay out a couple of reasons as to why or why not Fields can be the guy in the Chicago, in Chicago. And I keep coming back to this point that kind of reassure me that just that reassures me that Justin Fields has a genuine chance of being the first true franchise quarterback 
for Chicago, at least in the last 40 years or so. If there's any quarterback in this draft class that has faced adversity the most, I would argue that it's Justin Fields. And this is arguably the toughest situation out of any of the QBs, out of any of the top QB situations heading into this year, as I said. I wouldn't necessarily, it's the toughest, but it is one of the toughest. And Justin Fields is tough. He's always been second fiddle to Trevor Lawrence. He's never been considered the top guy. So I imagine that Justin Fields probably plays with a gigantic chip on his shoulder. And he left Georgia after Georgia committed to Jake Fromm in his senior year. So he was beaten out by Jake Fromm in Georgia. Went to Ohio State, played two seasons, and went to the semifinal and the championship game. And in most recent history, he absolutely torched the Clemson Tigers through for six touchdowns, 350-plus yards. And he did so for half of the game, having a gigantic rib injury, I believe, or maybe it was a hip pointer, something along those lines. He played fantastic in arguably such horrific adversity to be able to take that type of hit a hit in which the you know the tackler actually got eliminated from the game because it was so bad to come back out and still lead your team so Justin Fields has shown me toughness, he showed me grit, he showed me confidence, and that's something that you will need in Chicago. And again, him being second fiddle to Lawrence all these years, him being second fiddle to Fromm in Georgia, and him having to go Ohio State to actually get the playing time and the recognition that he's deserved as a prospect, I think Justin Fields plays with that confidence and that edge on his shoulder that he will need to be successful in Chicago. So I'm optimistic about that. And I think that in terms of the play calling and the playbook situation that he's going to go into, I would have loved him with Shanahan in San Francisco, but with Matt Nagy in Chicago, I think he also has a really good situation. He's going to be used in a very similar fashion to the way that Mitchell Trubisky was used, but he might be able to make better decisions than Trubisky, and that's the big question. What's the biggest con in terms of being talked about when it comes to Justin Fields in his his prospect, in his you know, scouting report, is that he doesn't make decisions that well, or he's going to have trouble adjusting to the speed of making adjustments in the NFL. That's kind of the only negative when it came to his scouting report, and that's the one big problem that Mitchell Trubisky had in Chicago, apart from a glaring confidence issue. So he's going to be used similar to Trubisky. He's a similar athlete to Trubisky. I think Justin Fields is faster. I think he's better built than Trubisky is. But he's going to be used similarly to Trubisky in Chicago. And again, the biggest problem and the biggest hump in the road that I can foresee is an issue in which the decision making is very, very similar to Trubisky and he doesn't make that leap to being a better decision maker. That's something that does scare me. But on the other hand, and on the bright side... Justin Fields, I don't think, will have the confidence issues that Trubisky developed in his time in Chicago. And part of that reason is because Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy never really agreed, or at least it never, at least it appeared they never really agreed on Trubisky as the starting quarterback. Trubisky looked fine, you know, his his opening year. I think they went 12 and 4 and went to the playoffs where they lost. But after that, when the question started rolling around and coming in on whether Trubisky was the guy, it never really seemed like he that you know the coaching staff and the general manager were in agreement on who the starting quarterback should be, whether that would have been Foles or Trubisky or or whoever have you. I don't think Justin Fields is going to have that problem in 
Chicago this time around. Not only because this is Matt Nagy's selection and this is Ryan Pace's selection together, but because I think he has a stronger mental than Trubisky ever had. And that's one thing that Barris will tell you straight away, is that's the fact that the confidence issues that came from Trubisky came from the fact that Matt Nagy didn't actually draft Trubisky. A lot of people will say, oh, well, Matt Nagy drafted Trubisky and, you know, he didn't work out. That's not true. Ryan Pace drafted Trubisky. Matt Nagy was actually part of the Chiefs staff that drafted Patrick Mahomes. So you would have to think that Matt Nagy understands the good qualities of a quarterback and that he likes what he sees in Justin Fields. And the fact that Justin Fields fell to them at 11 was enough for him to tell Ryan Pace, hey, let's go get this guy. So that's kind of some pros and cons that I've been weighing in my head um, over the past couple of days. I do worry that he will have coaching problems uh, and that he will be one of those quarterbacks that never truly finds a consistent system because the reality is also is that there's a very real chance that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy might lose their jobs anyways this season. So I do have concerns that those two will lose their jobs and, and Justin Fields will be one of those players that can never find a consistent coach and consistent offensive coordinator, and consistent GM, and there will be a struggle to build around Fields, especially in a year in which it feels like Chicago needs to make the playoffs and needs to win a game in the playoffs in order for that for that to not happen. So it's a crucial year for Chicago. Um, so, again, something to keep in mind, Matt Nagy drafted Mahomes and then went to Chicago. So Trubisky wasn't his guy. This is Justin Fields is more or less Nagy's guy. This is the one that he's laying his job out on the line for, essentially. So. That's kind of what's been going through my mind. I know that was a little bit disoriented, but that's literally been the, the cogwheel that's been my mind when I'm thinking about Justin Fields in Chicago. I'm really interested to see what you guys are thinking, what you guys think about Justin Fields going to Chicago and if he has a good chance to succeed. Switching gears here, I want to briefly talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers today on the show and why I'm a little bit concerned with the Steelers and why I'm disappointed in the draft. And I felt like they should have taken a quarterback in this draft, and I'll kind of explain why. First of all, I think the the Steelers overall had a pretty decent draft. I, they had some questionable draft picks in the later round. I'm not sure that I agree with them drafting a tight end second round when there were other quarterbacks available. I'm not sure about some of the offensive linemen that they drafted, although there was a need for the offensive line in the draft. I do love the Najee Harris draft selection. I think that's perfect. I think it always has been perfect. I thought it was perfect before the draft. Najee Harris embodies the attitude and the run-down-your-throat mentality that is the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think he fits the attitude, he fits the mold, and he'll drastically help out Roethlisberger and the offense now that there is going to be a at least decent running game in Pittsburgh to kind of help Roethlisberger with play action and throwing down the field, which the, the Steelers got caught being really too one-dimensional last year, and that's kind of what played a part in the downfall of the Pittsburgh Steelers last season. But I'm, I'm a little bit concerned because the, the Steelers are kind of in need of a quarterback, and it doesn't seem like they are really willing to address the fact that they do need a quarterback at some point. And I'm talking specifically about a quarterback for the future because this very well may be Ben Roethlisberger's last year. At the beginning of the offseason, it seems like the last season might have been Roethlisberger's last season. He had a ginormous contract. The Steelers weren't really sure whether or not they wanted to re-sign Roethlisberger. There was a big, big you know, conversation around the fact of, okay, Roethlisberger's contract is huge. Is it going to retire? Is it going to play one more season? And obviously now we know that Roethlisberger is going to play one more season. They cut down his contract. They were able to get some cap space out of it. So 
and as far as the money's concerned, everything's fine. But to me, this very much feels like a one more wild ride year for Ben Roethlisberger in which he's going to play one more year. He's going to try and make it to the championship game. He's going to try and make it to a Super Bowl. And if he doesn't do it, he's going to retire. That's kind of the vibe that I'm getting for the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger right now. And so it kind of concerns me that the Steelers don't seem concerned with who's going to succeed Ben Roethlisberger. And maybe that means they're comfortable with Mason Rudolph and that maybe that means they're comfortable in Dwayne Haskins. But if I'm a Steelers fan, I wouldn't be. <laughs> to be truthfully honest, Dwayne Haskins has shown maturity issues uh, the entire time that he was in Washington. He doesn't seem to have a good football IQ. And it, I don't like what I saw from Mason Rudolph when he was you know, replacing Ben Roethlisberger when Roethlisberger was hurt a couple of years ago. So I'm not confident in, you know, the future at quarterback for the Steelers and the likelihood that this is being Big Ben's last year. I would have thought that they took a quarterback in this draft instead of being blindsided by the retirement next year and then trying to struggle to find somebody young in the quarterback room. I thought they definitely should have taken a chance on somebody like Kyle Trask or more preferably, I think uh, Kellen Mond would have been a good successor for Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. Sure, Mond is a different type of player. Roethlisberger is a pocket passer. Kellen Mond is a dual threat guy. But, you know, Kellen Mond put together some really good seasons at Texas A&M, especially in 2018, where he rushed for something like 500 yards through 24 touchdowns over 3,000 yards. He had a really good season in 2018. And sure, he's a four-year starter at Texas A&M. He kind of had a down year last year. But I really think that Kellen Mond would have been an interesting prospect in Pittsburgh. And, you know, it's not like they don't, it's not like the Steelers don't have options at quarterback. Obviously, we already mentioned Dwayne Haskins and Mason Rudolph. It's not like the Steelers don't have options at quarterback to succeed Ben Roethlisberger. And, there, of course, you know, there also is the possibility that Roethlisberger plays two more seasons or three more seasons instead of this being his last season. But I kind of just have that feeling, and it feels like, the, you know, the rest of the league has the feeling as well that this is going to be Roethlisberger's last season. And, you know, the security blanket that Roethlisberger is for the Steelers is about to be yanked out from away from, you know, the Steelers organization, and they're going to need a competent quarterback coming soon. And I just do not feel confident with Rudolph, and I especially don't feel confident with Dwayne Haskins, so I'm a little bit concerned as to why they don't seem to be addressing the future at quarterback when teams like the Vikings are addressing future at quarterback in Tampa Bay. And, I mean, Tampa Bay, Brady could play until he's 50, to be you know, totally honest, the Vikings, you know, applying some pressure to the seat of Kirk Cousins by drafting Kellen Mond. So, you know, you have all these teams that sure, theoretically, they could need to address the future at quarterback, but they could have waited a little bit while a little you know, while longer. And then you have teams like the Steelers, which immediately might need some help with the future of quarterback. And they didn't really seem to be addressing it. And sure, you know, maybe there's a possibility of somebody like you know, Mitchell Trubisky coming off his one-year deer in Buffalo, going to, you know, Pittsburgh, or Garoppolo coming to Pittsburgh after Trey Lance eventually takes the starting job. So, you know, I can understand and just, you know, thinking forward and thinking about options, there are going to be options for Pittsburgh moving forward, but I think I would have much rather had a developmental project of a quarterback being drafted by the Steelers in the second or third round instead of them taking a tight end. You know, I, I just... Wish that the Steelers had more urgency in terms of, you know, the reality that Roethlisberger is not going to play for much longer and they're going to need somebody to replace him sooner. And again, Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins don't really butter my biscuit like that. So maybe I'm just being a little bit too, 
picky about this, but I really would like to see more urgency from the Pittsburgh Steelers in terms of you know, deciding a success for, for Roethlisberger if this is, in fact, his last season. Let's finish the show today talking about the winners and losers from the 2021 NFL Draft. We've had a couple days to digest everything. I've had some time to really figure out how I feel about all the team's draft selections and how they did over that three-day span. And I think I've found some good winners and some bad losers for the 2021 NFL Draft. So let's have some fun here. Let's just relax and talk winners and losers. And I'm interested to hear your winners and losers as well. I've got about five winners and six to seven losers, so let's go ahead and get into it, starting with the winners. And the first winner that I have is Kyle Trask. And if you don't know who Kyle Trask is, he was selected in the second round by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with the approval of Tom Brady, of course. Kyle Trask, a quarterback coming out of University of Florida. He was a Heisman candidate at one point. I think he finished fourth this past season in Heisman voting. And uh, the reason that Kyle Trask is such a winner is that Kyle Trask is very gifted athletically. He's 6'5", 240 pounds. He's got a cannon for an arm. He's more of that traditional, very strong in the upper body, really great arm quarterback, not more of the more mobile quarterback that we're kind of seeing the trend shift to in the NFL. But the real knock on Kyle Trask was the fact that he just had horrible decision-making, very bad decision-maker, often threw into double and triple coverage at his time at University of Florida. So with his biggest negative being his decision-making and his inability to read defense as well, I can't think of a better quarterback and a better team for him to sit on than him sitting behind Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, which Tom Brady being one of the best, if not the best decision-making quarterbacks in the NFL and probably the greatest quarterback of all time until 50 years from now when somebody better comes along. Who knows? I think that's a perfect marriage. It's a perfect place for Kyle Trask to sit and learn and fix his biggest con, which, again, is his decision-making. That makes him an absolute winner. So good for you, Kyle Trask. He's probably would be in consideration for one of the quarterbacks to have the best landing spot out of all the quarterbacks taken in this draft. Second group or winners, or excuse me, the second winner is the Miami Dolphins. It's really time to give Brian Flores the credit that he is due down in Miami and Chris Greer as well, the general manager, for the quickness and the speed and the effectiveness in which the Miami Dolphins have been able to rebuild since Brian Flores became head coach. They've done a fantastic job and they had a really, really good draft. They got uh, a great tight end and offensive tackle in the second or third round. They got a fantastic safety. There are two first-round picks, Jalen Waddell, who is a speedster. He is the AFC East version of Tyreek Hill. He's going to be an absolute playmaker for the Dolphins into a tongue of Viola. And then Jalen Phillips at number 18, a great story. He had to retire due to medical concerns at UCLA, came back, played at University of Miami, and now he gets to stay in the same stadium and play for the Miami Dolphins. They had a great draft, and they've got even more good draft picks coming up in the next year or so so I wouldn't be surprised to see the Dolphins contending for the first place spot in the AFC East they've had a great group of draft third winner in the winners and losers for the 2021 NFL draft is Ryan Pace Ryan Pace probably saved his job on Thursday night when he drafted Justin Fields at number 11 sure they had to give up a haul to get him Ryan Pace is still in trouble, but I think he probably saved his job for at least another season, maybe another season and a half, because Justin Fields, as I've talked about on the show already today, is probably the best quarterback suited for the Chicago Bears and what they need right now. And that system and the defense and the mentality that that Chicago Bears team has, I think Justin Fields is probably the only quarterback that would have been able to go to Chicago and be mentally prepared for the tough, tough tasks that he has ahead of him. Ryan Pace, 
big winner, probably saved his job, and he probably saved the job of his head coach, Matt Nagy, as well. Fourth winner is Justin Herbert. The Chargers had Rayshon Slater essentially just fall into their laps. And Justin Herbert had Rookie of the Year, obviously. Fantastic season. Incredible display of passing ability. And it's going to be really interesting to see what he can do with an actual offensive line in front of him. Rayshon Slater, probably one of the top two tackle prospects in this year's draft. And he can also slide to guard as well. Justin Herbert's got to be a happy, happy man. Chargers can be really contending for a spot in the playoffs this season behind Kansas City. And the last winner is the Cleveland Browns, who had a fantastic draft as well. I tried to include only two teams in terms of just being general winners, and I went with the Dolphins and the Browns. The Browns had Newsom the second out of Northwestern fall to them at 26. They were able to capitalize and get Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa and in the second round after he fell out of the first round, and I had Owusu-Karamoa actually mocked to the Dolphins and going relatively high in the first round, so to see him fall to the second and have the Browns get a coverage linebacker which they absolutely needed and were exposed for not having in their divisional playoff game against the Kansas City Chiefs Great pickup by the Browns. They had a great draft, and that team really, as well as the Dolphins, has turned around, and I would not be surprised if the Browns have a really big shot at the Super Bowl this year. Now going into the fun part where we make fun of some teams for their awful decisions and make fun of a couple of other things that came out of the NFL draft. First is the Las Vegas Raiders. I always call them the Oakland Raiders there uh, momentarily. This is like the third or fourth year in which the Oakland Raiders have just made a mind-boggling reach with their first-round pick. I think they drafted Cleveland Farrell two years ago, and he's only gotten six sacks in two seasons when he was supposed to be one of the best pass rushers from that draft. Uh, in this draft, the Raiders moved up, or excuse me, they didn't move up, but they uh, kind of jumped ahead in themselves. They drafted Alex Leatherwood at 17 when Leatherwood was mocked to be a second or third rounder, and there was still Christian Derrissaw available. There were much better tackles. Tevin Jenkins was still available as well. There were much better tackles available, and the, and the, um, the Raiders just kind of... I guess they hyper-focused on the guy and they drafted a real head-scratcher for like the second or third year in a row and I'm seriously concerned and confused as to why John Gruden and Mike Mayock had not been fired yet. Um, if the Raiders have a bad season, again this season, I would imagine that Mayock would be gone. I don't know about Gruden. Gruden has a massive contract, so Raiders are absolute losers again in this draft. Another loser in this draft, uh, Joe Burrow, again... <laughs> Bengals fans are going to be mad at me for talking about this, but I still, and I will die on this hill, I still think that Panay Stool should have been drafted by the Bengals with the fifth overall pick. Maybe I should be more specific and say Joe Burrow's leg. That's a loser because he maybe hit a lot again this season. They have an upgraded offensive line, but again, they play in division with a lot of great defenses. It's going to be very difficult for Joe Burrow to be able to run around the pocket and stay healthy. So I feel really bad for Joe Burrow. They should have taken the tackle. Protecting your quarterback is the most important thing in the NFL. Super, super important. And Joe Burrow just has not gotten that protection. Next loser is the Green Bay Packers. And not because they had a bad draft necessarily. I think Eric Stokes is a better pick than most people will give the Packers credit towards. They needed some cornerback help. Eric Stokes is probably the fastest cornerback in the draft. Uh, at least I believe that was uh, the case. And they did get some you know, wide receiver help in the third round with Amari Rodgers, who I think is going to be a steal. He's a great wide receiver. But the fact that Aaron Rodgers and that whole Aaron Rodgers drama came out the day of the draft just automatically makes them losers. And that's sad because, again, they didn't necessarily have a bad draft, but when you're losing one of the top four or five quarterbacks to ever play the game, 
or you're in danger of losing that, that automatically puts you on the losers list. Then the next loser, it's cell, re uh, <laughs> cell reception. Um, Texans quarterback, the new Texans quarterback, Davis Mills, coming out of Stanford, apparently didn't know that he was drafted by the Houston Texans until he saw his name come up on the board. And I'm guessing that the Houston Texans forgot to call him, which is kind of weird. I don't know if the later round picks get calls from their teams. I, I would imagine that they would at some point to let them know that they're being drafted. And I guess Davis Davis Mills didn't know that he was being drafted by the Texans until he saw his name on the board. So mm, that's not a good look um, for the Houston Texans. Next uh, loser, and this is an honorable mention, I've decided, are the Jaguars running backs. So you have James Robinson, an undrafted free agent, come into Jacksonville last season and have a 1,000-yard rushing season. And if you're Robinson, you got to think, man, I, I had a 1,000-yard rushing season. I, I'm in a good spot. I, I think I would deserve the starting job. And then Urban Meyer comes in and takes Travis Etienne with the 25th overall pick. And it's like, man, really? I mean, I know running backs are expendable, but this still seems like a... Kind of seems very petty. Not, I don't even know if petty is the right word. I just feel bad for James Robinson. And I also feel bad for Travis Etienne because then Urban Meyer came out and said, yeah, well, we really wanted Kadarius Toney, but the Giants uh, swapped him up at uh, pick number 20. And then, you know, with Travis Etienne being saying, oh, well, I want to have a two-man kind of game with James Robinson. And obviously, Travis Etienne has a lot more skills than just being a running back. He's a tremendous pass catcher out of the backfield. And Urban Meyer said as much, and they're going to use him all around the field. But I feel bad for both those running backs. First of all, James Robinson for being kind of pushed out of the way after having a really great season, being an undrafted free agent. And then Travis Etienne coming in and being drafted at number 25, being able to play with his college quarterback. And Urban Meyer basically saying, yeah, well, we really want a Kadarius Tony, and we're going to basically have a two-man lightning and thunder approach with the running back situation instead of having Etienne being the featured back, which he can't absolutely be a featured back in the NFL. I think using him in just a... Uh, a way in which he's a running back and also a sweet man, wildcat, whatever. I think that's, it's giving him a lot to do, but I think Travis Etienne had more in mind of being the number one guy. Next loser is the Cowboys. And I hesitated to call the Cowboys losers, which is why I'm also giving them an honorable mention as well. I think I would like to brand the Cowboys as being the unluckiest team in this draft. Cause not only were two, the, uh, the, both of the, uh, the top cornerbacks completely taken off the board by the time the Cowboys were, you know, on the clock, they did get Micah Parsons, and they declined the option on Leighton Van Der Esch, so I imagine that Micah Parsons is going to replace Van Der Esch at some point. But to take the, they had the both of the top cornerbacks taken off the board at eight and nine before they selected, and then in the second round, the Raiders hopped over them to take Trevon Moirig at a TCU, which they could have definitely used as the safety help, and. They had to sell, settle for Kelvin Joseph at cornerback. It felt like the Cowboys were all, always being jumped over this draft, which I feel bad for Cherry in that essence. So it's not like they had a bad draft. They did the best of what they could with it. They did have some stretches and some reaches in the second or third round, but again, they were always being jumped over. So I felt like the Cowboys were really unlucky this draft. And then the last loser for the 2021 NFL draft is Goodell's Lazy Boy. Uh, Goodell's Lazy Boy made an appearance in the first round. 
And that's the the lazy boy that he sat in during the 2020 NFL draft in which he did it from his basement. And couldn't you imagine the amount of glitter and and farts that are now in that lazy boy considering that 32 NFL fans sat in that couch or sat in that lazy boy for an extended amount of time and some of them some of them did not look like they were very well washed. Uh, I feel bad for Goodell's lazy boy. I wouldn't be surprised if they swapped out the lazy boy actually. That would actually, it might, it might not actually be the Lazy Boy, but I feel bad for that couch. And I don't know if you ever have a Lazy Boy, if you've ever owned a Lazy Boy. I'm very possessive, or at least my father was extremely possessive of the Lazy Boy that we had in our household. I He wouldn't let anybody else besides family members sit in it. So <laughs> I don't know if Goodell is the same way, but I feel bad for that Lazy Boy. And that's winners and losers from the 2021 NFL Draft, ladies and gentlemen. And that's the show. Make sure that you go on YouTube, watch the highlights as they are posted. They will be posted. You're listening to the hard-headed sports podcast episode number 42 hosted by me nick ryan so on behalf of that and with that being said stay hard-headed but have a nice day